0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The drug war is what broke policing, according to Cato's Trevor Burrus. Where there's no victim and piles of cash the police departments can use, it's not hard to see how priorities shift away from tackling crimes that have victims. This week I spoke with Trevor Burrus about the drug war, the president's new executive order on policing, and the growing rumblings that Joe Biden will pick former prosecutor and Senator Kamala Harris as his White House running mate. Just to start here, uh, as of this recording, the White House has released an executive order uh, dealing with what they call safe communities. Uh, They talked about policing. The president talked about the the families of Ahmad Arbery and others that he met with today. So uh, clearly he senses uh, somehow that there's a moment here that he probably ought not miss – uh, and that the policing is ex- especially controversial now and uh, there is sort of a, a reckoning that is uh, taking place. So w- what was in this executive order? And we should keep in mind uh, at the outset that this is from the federal government and the federal government does not in any way direct police uh, mm-hmm. at the state and local level.
1: Yeah, so the the executive has very few levers on this. I mean, it's almost the flip side of the sanctuary cities battles, where where the law enforcement, you know, is independent in these states, uh, and the, even though the feds want them to play ball, they don't have to play ball. Always their levers are money and funding. Uh, and say any funding that the departments get, they can sort of try and push those and say, you don't get funding unless you do this. Well, it, it's not horrible given if I were president and tried to figure out what I would do. It's not It's not horrible. Uh, it, again, the details, it has sort of broad principles. It talks about credentialing and certifying, certifying use of force and other practices and departments and saying that the attorney general won't, uh, won't, give money to these uh, departments until they demonstrate credentialing. We don't see what the details are on that. Uh, One of those credentials includes like an actual ban on chokeholds, which is kind of interesting uh, except for where it's a quote uh, allowed by law. The probably the best thing about it is information sharing. Uh, We have a really bad problem of good nationwide data on criminal justice issues in this country. Uh, It's because we have so many jurisdictions. And again, as I said, the feds can't compel local departments to say even give them their murder data or some things that we would like to know, like how many SWAT raids there are. We have some idea, but we don't have a general database of that or how many people are killed by cops a year all of that trailblazing work in the last 5 years has been done by journalistic output outlets like the Washington Post so that we're getting we're trying to get some more of that data together could be again. Could be a good thing. And all this again is is sort of with the money hel- held at the is the as the carrot or the stick, uh, taking it away is the stick. There's an attempt to have better training for mental health, which we've been talking about for quite a while, uh, It is a national conversation, saying that po- calling police on people who are having mental health episodes uh, when they're not trained with this, police are pretty. Blunt object and they're asked to be A lot of things and so when people Are saying you know I think that my Brother might commit suicide or something And then it ends up in some sort of violent altercation That's a that's a bad idea So yeah overall it's it's not the worst Uh, Again though the details Are what matters here All right
0: so you identify Um as a key moment in the breaking of policing uh, of create the creation of a lot of problems within policing the war on drugs and uh, as we understand the war on drugs that was started in the se- early 70s yeah
1: um, you can
0: what, different what ch-
1: times but yeah yeah well yeah i mean what what changed i think the best way of looking at this is to imagine kind of like our last podcast we did together, but on the law enforcement side, imagine a world without the drug war and imagine what police are doing. Uh, so first of all, they're solving real crimes, hopefully. I mean, there's a lot of non-real crimes other than the drug war, but they're solving crimes that have actual victims. And that's, that makes people feel like more trust in police because what, what happens if you come home and you're, house has been robbed. You're a victim of a crime. You call the police. They come to your house. You invite them into your house. You say, take evidence, You know, check the place out. You give them all the information you have, and hopefully they go and try and catch the criminal. That's good policing relationships, uh, and that's what we want the police to do. But you know, in a, in a lot of situations today, I think a lot of people, we know that they don't report a lot of thefts to the police because they don't think the police will do anything, and that's Often true, their hands are full with uh, more, maybe more violent crime, and also with fighting the drug war. And that's the other thing about the drug war, right? If you take drugs, you are the victim and the criminal. You're both of those. You're not. You're not someone who's a victim who's going to invite someone into your property and say, "Catch the criminal." You're both. And so now you're in a different sort of relationship to the cops. First of all everyone walking down the street the cops looking at them saying oh that person might be holding marijuana it's not evident uh, so there could be a criminal right now and so they have they have they're wary about that and they have an excuse to shake you down but once the victim and criminal are the same person and you're not inviting them into your into your house to get evidence they're going to start trying to figure out how to do that in other ways so the first one is surveillance and we've seen throughout the years uh, since the drug war since the 70s many many of our fourth amendment protections have been rolled back as the as the police try different methods of surveillance as they fly helicopters over your house to see if you're growing marijuana in the backyard. Now it would be drones as they use heat sensitive cameras on your house to see if you have a grow room in your house. Uh, of course we have body cavity searches at the border, uh, of all these sort of things, obviously surveillance for electronic, for tracing people who are presumptively dealing drugs. Uh, that kind of surveillance is the first one where people start to feel a little bit wary about the police. Uh, and that's, uh, and again, now we have a Different fact in this too, I talked about where their resources are going because of the existence of civil forfeiture, which we've talked about a bunch on the show and at Cato we write about all the time, wherein the police can share in the profits that they take from ill-gotten gains, that's criminal forfeiture, or just say, I i believe that the money in your car is from marijuana, I'm going to take it. That, has, that was passed to fight the drug war in the mid 80s, and that has incentivized police to focus on those crimes compared to say, the robbery of your big screen television. Uh, and so now police don't seem that helpful. Uh, the robbery of your big screen television versus the possibility of tracking a guy for say a month who they think is part of a drug dealing operation, and that they can really get to the top, uh, they can get that money and get those drugs uh, and maybe they'll find a large cache of money and they'll be able to spend that on fun cop gear. And that brings up the militarization point too.
0: Yeah. So uh, there for, even if people maybe don't trust police or don't like them, there ought to be something that balances that. Uh, and for a lot of communities, uh, presumably they don't see that the balance that is the, the costs Of of policing that is, you know, shakedowns, stop and frisk, uh, a bunch of other policies, of course, deaths at the the, the hands of police. Um, A lot of these don't for them, perhaps don't don't
1: view it as worth it. Well, yes. I mean, let's just take marijuana. I mean, things have gotten better on marijuana. But as The New York Times reported a few years ago, uh, there were still over 600,000 arrests for marijuana possession which was more than all violent crimes combined. And now we have a drug that is the most popular illicit drug in the United States. And most people by by polling have tried it, more than half of American adults have tried it. And if you ask them if they think it should be legal or if there's anything wrong with marijuana use, you know that gets better and better. I haven't seen one this year, but it's, the trend line keeps going up. So then they look at their neighborhoods, especially neighborhoods with people of color, and they see the cops continually shaking people down for something that's not perceived by the people, by most the people to be a thing that's worth their time. And they can, they can make it up, too. I mean, I, I think most cops are good cops, but I think it's extremely easy for a cop to say, I smell marijuana smoke. I see a bunch of kids on the street together. Uh, maybe they're black, and I'm going to go up there and I'm going to shake them down and say, "Oh, I smell marijuana smoke." It's a it's a foolproof pretense to do that. Uh, It'd be very hard to walk up again. Imagine that cops are just solving robberies and murders and and assaults and things like this. It'd be very hard to walk up to a group of kids and say, hey, I think you guys are robbers. I mean, That would be much harder than believe I think you guys right now could be breaking the law. And guess what? My nose smells it and I know the smell of marijuana. Uh, And so that, again, it's a pretext to allow this and to just make people say, well, what are the cops doing with their time? They're not making these safer. There's drug gangs everywhere. They're not really stopping the flow of drugs, and they have a, they have a reason to shake down anyone at any time, and and they do that. And then, because like, I mentioned the militarization, you have the next part where these drug drugs are so profitable uh, that you do have. Some fairly armed people involved in the drug trade because they can't go to courts to negotiate their contracts and they have their own little sort of, you know, they divide up cities into their territory and they don't want to encroach on the territory and they've enforced that with violence. Uh, because now the cops feel like they have to get military gear to. Sort of stamp out the drug trade. And we saw this really happening in the 80s with Ronald Reagan. Some of it was actually using the, the military, the militia in Northern California to fly over parts of the, the marijuana, the Marin County area where they grow a lot of marijuana, Humboldt County. And it you know, it got very bad. It's a war on drugs. And so again, maybe the problem, maybe we should be like the problem might have begun. Started and it's not the only thing, but it might have begun the moment that thousands of police officers suit up every day, looking like soldiers in Fallujah, to go to war against citizens for behavior that is, of, that is choosing, you know, an intoxicant that is different than the one that your local bar serves, or choosing an intoxicant that increasingly most people don't think is that bad to use. That makes the situation with the police extremely bad from between the police and the citizens.
0: Ending the drug war, sadly, is not on the table. Uh, but for at least uh, one candidate for president, Joe Biden, he, uh, you know, wrote a lot of these laws, these get tough laws that made uh, policing so much more potent in a way. Uh, and now he is considering, as far as uh, some recent headlines are concerned, Kamala Harris as a running mate.
1: What do you make of that pair? <laughs> It is a little bit fascinating that Kamala Harris, if you are, you know, not totally tone deaf, I mean, she is a person of color, so that sure that's a massive reason for why she seems to be the front runner. But as a former prosecutor, and so is Amy Klobuchar, but they have—it's hard to defend in this climate where people are being thrown under the bus uh, for for doing their jobs, even if they did their jobs, you know, prosecutors did their jobs well. They still were prosecuting, not maybe not prosecuting cops, which is quite common, and maybe over prosecuting people of color. Uh, and so it'd be—it's very odd that Kamala Harris has so many opportunities for the Trump for the Trump campaign to sort of poke those uh, and poke the ire that currently is happening about the criminal justice system that he would choose Kamala Harris. I find it to be very strange um, and either Kamala Harris or Amy Klobuchar. But again, I think probably the fact that she's a person of color is, is the biggest reason for this. But she is, I mean, as uh, as our friend, Elizabeth Nolan Brown wrote in a reason piece that got widely shared, uh, she's a cop. She has the mentality of extremely pro-law enforcement, very cracking down on criminal element. And that's the way she behaved as a prosecutor. And she'll disavow that, but deep down, and so will Joe Biden, but deep down, I, I wouldn't believe either of them.
0: Yeah, and it's it's very strange that uh, for all of uh, Donald Trump's problems, they are many. Uh, On paper, he's better on a lot of this stuff than they are, and of course, they've been in politics a lot longer. But uh, in terms of criminal justice reform broadly, he's got accomplishments.
1: Yes, I mean, he has the first step back. And and I think the biggest factor in that, though, is what you pointed out, Caleb, that he wasn't involved in politics, say, between 86 and 94, when a lot of these laws were passed, and they had broad backing, because at that time, the perception was, was that the way our crime rate was going we were, we were going to end up, especially like say New York City, was going to end up like escape from New York. Uh, we were going to have a, a place where eventually we would have to wall off the entire thing and turn it into a prison. Uh, and that was fearful for a New Yorker like Donald Trump. I have little doubt that actually he was probably bad on criminal justice at the time. I don't know. I haven't gone back and looked. But given the, given the nature, at that time, the, the, the push for stricter criminal penalties on a variety of things was... Very sim- was somewhat similar. It wasn't as quite a movement as what we're seeing now, but it was it was a very similar where we, we passed all of these laws to deal with drugs, to raise the crack cocaine disp- sentencing disparity, to pass things like the gun free school zone act, uh, career criminal acts, all of these things. We had that's when California passed its three strike law, which still seems impossible to get off the books even in that very liberal state. So it was a very 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 type of harsh on criminals is a good thing, uh, and so I I do blame Joe Biden for that. Uh, he he was for pretty much all of those Uh, but i everyone everyone i think would have been was basically for those except for maybe ron paul
0: trevor burris is a research fellow at the cato institute subscribe to the cato daily podcast wherever you please and follow us on twitter at cato podcast